Hey everyone, before we jump in, Miles and I are so grateful for all of your support and we want to remind you all to always dive within the limits of your training and experience and always follow the advice of your instructors and dive masters. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for formal dive instruction. We are thrilled to have this space to share our stories and experiences and thankful we get to share them with you. Stay safe out there and have fun. Dive 13. <laughs> and Miles showed up to the recording session dressed up. And I think this is, this is actually where I want to start today because divers, we always see each other like sort of, we don't ever look that good. Kind of like wet dogs. We never, yeah, we sort of look like we... Well, Usually I look like a wet dog. I, you, look, you look better than me, I but think I think 75% I collectively, like, of the time. we're usually not, like, done up when we go diving. Like, we're just, we're ready to go get in the water and get wet and, like... And I usually yeah. stink. No okay, deodorant. I, 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 I don't stink. But, uh, I'll let, you know, it's fine. It's fine if you do. I'm not judging you. But, um, we rarely ever see each other, like, done up. So... The only time I have is, like, when you go on events and, like, post pictures of yourself. I'm like, oh, shit, like, Miles cleans up well. <laughs> and then you showed up today because we're going out to dinner for um, producer Caleb's birthday. Yeah. And you showed up ready to go to dinner. I am not ready to go to dinner. I'm in a t-shirt. Um, you didn't see me when I walked into the shop in my dress with, like, my hair all curled, pulling two tanks behind me and, like, my instructor backpack on. <laughs> Everyone just, like... Whoa, like, what are you, who are you? What are Get you, you doing? a girl who can do both. <laughs> Get you a girl who can do both. I know, I, like, chose to go the cart route today because I didn't want to get the sand all over my dress. But I was still, like, <laughs> lugging the cart. <laughs> but, like, no, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm sure cheap, it was but a, I'm also, like, I'm strong sure it was a very person. funny sight. It was, it was actually very, it was very <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, we are recording in the shop today because we have coming up an excellent interview with one of my mentors, one of our good friends. He's a course director. He's involved with a bunch of different levels of diving and free diving. So maybe we'll talk to him about that too, or we'll save that for another episode. I want to talk um, to him about that. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'd like to, I'd like to, we'll see. I want to get into it a little bit yeah. because I'd like to know a little bit more about yeah. free diving. I think especially after some of the documentaries that have come out, um, yeah. some students and just friends have been asking me like the differences between free diving and scuba diving in terms of like why... Oh my gosh, um, all the time you know, in class. Why people have to go up slower when they're when they're on scuba versus going up on free diving where you can go up as fast as you want. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Well, fast as you want within limits, there's still other things you have to be concerned with. But um, yeah, definitely something um, something we can talk to him about. People always want to talk to me about it after we do skin diving. Yeah. Every time we do like the skin diving, people yeah. want to ask about it. Yeah. So before we get into that though, um, I've been diving with students and it's been awesome. I, well, they're former students. They're now fully certified divers. Mm-hmm. And one of them just got back from a trip. The other one we've dove a couple times just here in San Diego. And where I did they go? Uh, they went to Fiji. Oh, they went to Fiji. Wow. I was very jealous. And they still came back and dove yeah, here. And they came back and, and she came back and, and we dove together. Great. Um, and you know, she's awesome. Um, and it was a lot of fun because. When I try, when I teach, I try and, you know, we try and impart our love of the ocean and our love of diving and our excitement of being in the water and diving with them after the class and they get super excited when you see them get super excited about seeing organisms underwater and fish and crabs and octopus and stuff like that. And they're doing the little happy dances and they're flashing their lights and pointing at things. 
you know, that to me was like a really, really good validation. It felt really good. I think uh, for to be me, on the other end of that. yeah, I haven't dove with students in a bit just because I've been teaching a lot of classes. And so I haven't done fun dives with students in a bit, but I think a couple of months ago when I did, I, my one student that I had taught and he just got super into it. Diving is his whole life now. He, I think he's going to go all the way up to dive master. One of us. Yeah. One <laughs> he's of like, us. he's drinking the Kool-Aid for sure. But That's I don't awesome. know if I'm allowed to say that on the podcast, but, um, but we're not sponsored by Kool-Aid. We, true. <laughs> we, um, so we dropped down and immediately, like I hadn't been diving with him, but I knew he had been diving a lot after our class yeah. and I, watched him and he was so good his buoyancy was good he was super relaxed he was like I looked at him and I was like wow you are a pro and I would dive with you any day it wasn't like a continuation of the class which like that happens with a lot of students when they're on like you know dive five or dive six you know that like open water certification it's a license to learn yeah absolutely and we're constantly learning but especially in those first 20 30 dives but with this one student, he was already so, so, so good because he just, he, you know, it no pun clicked. intended, he dove right in. He clicked, it clicked and, for yeah. him. And, and, and some so, students, some students, it clicks right away and some students, it takes a little bit more time. Yeah. So it, like, it was like diving with a professional friend instead of, you know, a continuation of teaching. That's awesome. And I think I dove with two students yesterday and both of them, um, you know, they, they came out of the class excited about diving and diving with them yesterday. Um, you could, I could tell that they hadn't lost any of that excitement and that was, that was really awesome. Um, you know, it, it sort of validates all of the, uh, all, all of the training and the hours that we put in into getting them ready and getting them certified to, to do this really cool thing. And when, when they think it's as cool as you do, um, you know, that's a really good feeling. So I wanted to share that with you guys. I think we're going to do a longer episode, maybe in a couple of weeks on sort of the, the dive Zen feelings that we get. Cause we were talking about this the other day that it's different for each of us. Mm-hmm. And we never, we didn't really, I want to do like a long form episode where it's just conversation about like what the fe- what those feelings are like and, and how we think about them and, and how we try and teach them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to mention that because it was really, really fun. You've been all about the dive zen lately. I have. You have. I have. I, I've I, noticed that. Because, I think because I've been diving for fun more frequently lately yeah. than I have previously. Um, I have more, I just, I realized I that I the have camera, the time. I think, I think the think camera it, really, it got you back into fun diving, one, but it really, I think it allows you to slow down and get that zen and focus it wouldn't be the same for me. I'd be so focused on the camera that I wouldn't be focused on other things. But for oh, I you, am. I do. I do but zone for in you, on the I feel like you zone in, and it's a way to like complete that Zen feeling for you. Maybe. I, I want to think about that a little bit more. So that's why we're not going to do it on this episode. We'll do it in another episode because I want to sort of frame that thought the right way. Yeah. But um, I think I think you're right. I think the camera has something to do with it. But generally, I have been realizing that I have more time. And I've been reaching out to students, to former students who are certified now and other dive professionals and just people in San Diego that want to go diving. If you want to go diving with us, hit me up, hit Miles up. We do want to go diving with, with, our, with our former students, with, with other people in San Diego. Um, so hit us up and you know, let, it, let us know. We'd love to go diving with you. Uh, I'd love to you know, sort of expand the dive network in San Diego. Uh, um, so moving along, we will, uh, we'll bring in Seth and, um, 
we'll we'll talk about sort of the ins and outs of everything related to diving. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is one of the course directors that works at our shop, our favorite course director that, that is in this room currently, it is <laughs> Seth Tavesson. I say that because I know the other course directors do listen to the podcast. Uh, so it is Seth Tavesson. He is awesome. He has how many diving-related jobs? Like three, four, five, all yeah, of them? So, so right all many. So I'll right let now, you introduce uh, yourself. Right, right, now, uh, right now I'm at two coming down from three. But, uh, but yeah, hey, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's, it's great to have the opportunity to come in and, and speak with you. Uh, a little bit about, uh, I guess a little bit about my diving background is right now I really work in about three different areas of diving. So one of them is, uh, you know, one of my biggest passions is teaching recreationally. Um, I'm a, uh, I guess as far as certifications, I'm a PADI course director, uh, I'm a free diving instructor, um, I'm also a Divers Alert Network instructor and a Handicap Scuba Association instructor. Um, so that's kind of uh, my recreational teaching background. Um, I'm also uh, certified through the Association of Diving Contractors International as a commercial diver. Um, and then I guess kind of the third thing is I'm certified by the, uh, through the National Board of Diving and Hyperbaric Medical Technology uh, right now, there's about 5,000 people who are certified as uh, what are called certified hyperbaric technician, excuse me, certified hyperbaric technologists or CHTs. And there's about 3,000 that are certified as diver medical technicians or DMTs. Um, and right now, I'm uh, dual certified as both and practicing both emergency and hyperbaric medicine. Um, and I, I work over at the, as the uh, hyperbaric program lead at Sharp Grossmont Hospital. So you do do basically everything wow. in diving. Wow. Um, that was a lot. I don't yeah. know where to start. <laughs> you know, now, now I you... think let's start with the first one and yeah. then we'll go to yeah. the next jobs from there. So okay. yeah, tell us sort of your dive story. What got you into diving? What, what sort of keeps you bring, brought you through diving? So, uh, you know, so it, like I, it, it's absolutely like the, like the, my, my like the, my life's work, my and my life's passion is uh, is diving. Kind of my story. I always, you know, I grew up as a kid watching Jacques Cousteau. Um, I had all, you know, I had all the books, all the shark books, and you know, just absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, but it really wasn't until uh, like uh, I think I was in I was in college, uh, and I finally over five months scraped enough money together so that I could get an open water certification uh, through Annapolis Scuba in Maryland. And so, uh, so you're so, diving the bay. So I, I well we were supposed to dive the uh, quarry in Bainbridge, Pennsylvania, Ooh. and then it got too cold. Um, so so I came home um, and I was lucky enough to have my dad drive me down to Ventura Dive and Sport, uh, where I went out on Spectre and got open water certified with uh, through a couple friends down there, and then after that you know I was absolutely hooked. Um, uh, I guess I kind of got into uh, professional diving. I just kind of, I did a ton of diving all over, uh, just as many places as I could. And it really took me about 10 years before I, uh, I got advanced certified, nitrox certified, and then it took me about 10 years before I saw the inside of a classroom again, and that was in San Diego. Um, and, you know, from there it just took off. I uh, went from rescue diver all the way up through, all the way up through dive master. Um, started uh, started working. I was uh, I was full time military at the time, so I spent about five years where where scuba, being a dive master and being an instructor, was really my part time job. Um, and then after doing that for a while, uh, I decided that I wanted to make that my full time job. 
So I transitioned out of the military, uh, went to work for a dive shop. And while I was there, someone floated the idea across and they said, hey, do you know that San Diego has a commercial dive school? And uh, at the time, uh, National University uh, uh, Polytechnic Institute had a commercial diving program. Uh, so I entered there and uh, became a commercial diver. And my, my emphasis was diving medicine because uh, you could either focus on non-destructive tests or on diving medicine. So I chose the medical track and then just kind of, uh, I, you know, I put a couple resumes out and, and that brought me to the hospital and then do a couple other, a couple other working diving jobs here in San Diego. And the rest is kind of history. I thought you did the non-destructive stuff as well. I, I, I wish. Uh, it's, uh, so we have a little bit of time, I guess, uh, training um, as, as far as kind of the technical aspect of it, um, but specifically like to testing and uh, doing like ultraviolet testing, looking at welds, uh, things like that. Not so much for me. Okay. Uh, uh, I I was fortunate. Um, I'm an underwater welder, so we so we start with topside welding and cutting, and then we do some uh, uh, some underwater work. And so you know, so that's a lot. Welding welding is kind of cool. Uh, under underwater burning and cutting is is just a a ton of fun. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, I I think you might have been the first person I've ever heard to describe it as a ton of fun. I think everyone else <laughs> says it's. Uh, scary and takes years off your life. Everyone, um, everyone else that I've talked to about that says it's pitch black and you have really heavy, scary tools and you can't see anything, let alone your fingers. So, <laughs> but I'm glad that you enjoyed doing it, Seth. <laughs> so you, you did, you, you sort of got that medical training through the commercial diving programs and then you, you ended up working, you became a, uh, as you said, certified hyperbaric technologist. That's right. So what does that mean as far as the chamber? We all, we all talk about in our classes we hear oh you'll go to the chamber what does that mean in terms like what's your role in all of that okay uh so like kind of a cht program is a lot um there's a lot that's focused on the maintenance and the operation of the chamber with a little less emphasis on inside tenders with the idea being that anyone that's a cht or along the same lines like a certified hyperbaric nurse uh, that you're coming from a medical background to get into something like that so they focus more on the technical and the mechanical aspect for your training um, whereas in if you whereas in on the diver medic path they figure that you're a diver and then you need medical training so they focus more on kind of like the I guess uh, inside tender uh, responsibilities um, but in kind of like a, a daily role working in a hospital um, we run three clinical dives per day uh, we save availability if for example we were to get a we were to get a emergency uh, an emergency diving case. Um, but in regular operation, we'll do three dives per day. Uh, for one of the dives, you're going to be inside as an inside tender. Uh, while we're inside, we're on we're primarily on air throughout the dive. So do the same way as if you were scuba diving, you're building nitrogen, you're building bottom time, and eventually hit a point to where you don't have any more allowable bottom time within the day. So you can really do one, uh, one uh, treatment table inside with patients, and then the other two, uh, the other two dives, you're operating the outside. Uh, you're working as a uh, as a chamber operator outside of the chamber. Okay, so you guys are doing tests every day. Um, we're, we're we're treating patients every day. Oh, okay. So if they're not dive emergencies, what other kind of patients are you are you treating in the in the chamber? Uh, so so there's there's a variety of patients. So pretty much in a uh, a U.S. Uh, uh, Medicare facility, um, the undersea uh, hyperbaric medical uh, undersea and hyperbaric medical. Uh, society, the UHMS, 
uh, create basically protocols for treatment. And so they uh, create the protocols for what we're authorized to treat. So there are 14 cases where, uh, where hyperbarics are indicated or indications. Um, some of the main ones are the ones that we think about for decompression sickness, uh, air, air gas embolisms or arterial gas embolisms. Um, some things like uh, other things you might think of like carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, but then there's also a, a variety of other things. So some common ones that I see are what are called delayed radiation injuries. So an example might be you get you, uh, someone uh, was afflicted by cancer and they were treated with uh, radiation therapy. And in trying to kill some of the good, some of the bad tissue, they also killed good tissue. The issue with the delayed radiation injury is there's no way to tell for six months to years after it happens. And then when it does, uh, hyperbaric oxygen stimulates a process called angiogenesis, which is where you get all this uh, new capillary growth through uh, through affected tissue. So mm. it's one of the um, it's one of the only methods where you can handle cases. Um, primarily, we see things like what are called uh, osteoradionecrosis or ORNs, um, which is bone death through radiation or soft tissue radionecrosis which is tissue death through, through radiation. Um, and so essentially, you know, we'll, we'll try, we'll take affected patients, we'll put them in the chamber, we'll run them through a series of about 42-hour treatments um, to, you know, and that will stimulate enough tissue growth to, you know, to offer some, some assistance. Uh, we also see things like uh, uh, diabetic foot ulcers, uh, problem wounds, um, what is called chronic refractory osteomyelitis or, or bone infections. Um, some other ones are, uh, are compromised, uh, grafts or flaps, which are because of, there may be healing, uh, tissue oxygenation problems and there is healing problems. So maybe somebody had an amputation or, or a surgery and then, and the site isn't, uh, isn't properly healing and properly mm. closing. Mm-hmm. We can treat that through hyperbarics. Um, and then one, one that's kind of an interesting case, that it's called uh, idiopathic sudden sensorineural hearing loss. And so what that means, idiopathic means they don't know why it happened. Um, there's conductive hearing loss and there's sensorineural hearing loss. So conductive is, say, you had damage to the eardrum. Um, you know, so your, so your ear isn't mechanically functioning the way it should. Uh, then there's uh, then there's sensorineural hearing loss, which doesn't really have to do with sound waves, uh, with the way the sound waves are transmitting and, and conducting through your ear, but more the way that your brain receives and processes auditory signals. Um, so sometimes, because when you you know you think of like very very small uh, arteries that are far in somebody's head, where you don't where surgery might not necessarily be practical um, or difficult to do. Uh, we can offer treatment with uh, with hyperbarics for that. So those are just a few examples. Oh, that's uh, fascinating. I you know when yeah. we hear about the chamber, we think okay, it sits vacant and dormant with just a guy, a guy who sits there reading a magazine, waiting for a diver to get hurt. But it sounds like they're doing a lot of really interesting medicine in there. Absolutely. And here here in San Diego, we have we have two chambers that uh, two chambers that function regularly: uh, UCSD and then Short Grossmont, um, that handle really a, like a variety of cases. Um, other hyperbaric centers can do things. They can do. Uh, uh, they can treat uh, thermal burns. That's a significant cause. Uh, severe anemia, where if you just have massive, massive blood loss, um, we can also we can also treat with hyperbarics for that. So, are they doing any kind of treatment and surgery inside? So there there are facilities that do it. Um, there was a time when uh, you probably take you probably wind the clock back about forty or fifty years when hyperbarics really started taking off 
where uh, we're to stimulate healing. Uh, surgeons were actually operating inside the chambers. Um, in the, I believe the 50s, there was a medical center that they called the Hyperbaric Hotel. It looks like a giant dome, and it was essentially, it was, it was a hospital that was under pressure. Wow. Um, okay. So, you know, so there was a time yeah. when hyperbaric started to become very popular when they wanted to use it for everything. And then when they, and then they started to find that there were cases it wasn't effective and it kind of lost a lot of, um, it lost popularity, I guess you could say. And then, you know, over time it's kind of fluctuated. Mm. What does it feel like being in the chamber? I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're at one atmosphere in this room. You're at three or four atmospheres in the chamber, I'm guessing. Uh, what is does it feel different? I mean, underwater obviously it feels like you're underwater, but in, when you're in air, what does it feel like to be in the chamber? So, so interestingly enough, in air, uh, you feel the pressure. Um, you feel the pressure as you're making your descent. Once you get to depth, I mean, very very similar to diving. Like once you're at depth, then you tend to notice it a little bit less. And then when you start to make your ascent, and we uh, we start passing, um, our treatment depth will be forty. It will be forty five feet typically. Uh, we treat patients at two to two point four uh two two to two point four atmospheres is typically what's what's prescribed. Mm. And but when you start passing up through twenty feet, then you really start to feel it. Like I'll always be able to feel it in my shoulders and my arms and I'll and I'll be able to tell at this point kind of what depth I'm at without looking at the gauge just because you kinda get used to the feeling or the way that you, you feel your ears uh equalizing. Do you have to equalize? You do so both oh, uh, wow. on descent and ascent, and something that's kind of, and something that's really interesting where you don't really find many cases like this is when you scuba dive, you're in, you're in control of your descent. Right. So you, you know, and you can feel it too. You see it happen. You can feel it. I'm, I'm imagining standing in a room and feeling that pressure, and I don't. I, I can't imagine what that, I know, what that's that would insane. feel like. I can't that's picture insane. that. It's one of the things in diving, I, I, by now I've gotten used to it, but when yeah. I started, when I started pressing in chambers, it was a little bit uncomfortable because if, you know, because if you have an equalization issues, you, you have to tell somebody and then somebody else stops your descent. And, you know, oh, I mean, they're, yeah. so you don't have as, you don't have near as much control. Right. You I mean, can't, you can't kick up. You can't, you, <laughs> you can't, can't hold yeah. the line and kick up. Yeah. So are you wearing a dive watch while you're in there or is it like a dive computer or does it sense the pressure like that? Or are you basically rely, are you relying on tables? How does it? So, I, so when I when I dive, I'm I'm using basically a like an approved like uh, basically a, a dive computer. So so I'm seeing depth when I'm inside. Not not all uh, not all inside tenders will do that. Um, we'll typically have a, some method of telling time. That's basically that's that's something that's safe to take in the chamber. That's not a fire hazard because um, because increased pressures at depth, you know, is is always you know we're always concerned about fire, and there's certainly a couple of like very tragic cases uh, involving hyperbaric chambers and catastrophic fires or explosions because of the partial pressure of oxygen gets higher, so it's more a, a, a flame could have a much larger impact. Absolutely, and it's a lot harder to it's it's a lot harder to extinguish it too. So pretty much like like high high quantities of water are about the only thing that'll do it. Like chemical fire extinguishers don't have much of an effect. Fire blankets don't have much of an effect. Um, you know, you really just need a ton of water if you're going to have an effect on on putting out flames. You have to fully in, like enclose the the flame in another in a non flammable substance, basically. A absolutely. Wow. Uh, it it is pretty fun. Uh, uh, every six months, we'll light off our deluge system. So we'll take everything out of the chamber. We'll close it all off. And then we turn the sprinklers on, and it's basically our fire suppression system is supplied by you know by a giant tank um, of about hundred gallons of water, and it just and it just dumps everything into the wow. chamber. 
Like a swimming later? I mean, it, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun to do it. It's not so much fun to dry, to dry everything off. I was, stuff, yeah, but I'm how sure. long does it take to it's drain all that water out of the chamber? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we talked a ton about, like, all your various, you know, like, high-level, high-technical ability diving careers, two of them, uh, three of them, honestly, but... How do you go back and teach open water in advance after, you know, welding underwater and working in a hyperbaric changer? How do you still get enjoyment out of those two classes? So it's really, um, I think, you know, there's a, there's a couple answers to that. Uh, one thing is that as you advance through different levels of training and different certifications, it never really feels any different than if you're doing kind of like an open water class, you know, to, to a degree. It's like you learn a few new skills. Um, all the same things are important. You know, there's knowledge that's involved. There's practical skill that's involved. There's practice. There's some discipline that's involved. Um, but really, you know, I mean, it, but you, you get the same, uh, you get the same thrill really of learning new things and, and, get, and growing in, in that way. Um, and seeing that at any level of training, you, for me personally, is, is something that never really gets old. Um, I, you know, I, I, I tell a lot of people, like, you know, when you're looking for, when you're looking for success in, in diving and in teaching is that anytime um, you start with a new class, it's your student's first class, so it's your first class also. Um, and it's it's an opportunity you know you everybody only gets one chance to become an open water diver for the first time ever and you know and and or an advanced diver or a rescue diver you know or or, or you, what you only get the certification one time right and so uh you know being able to respect that and really to 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 appreciate the impact that that has on people is something that always keeps that you know it always keeps it fresh for me and always makes it fun and enjoyable one of the things that um, when, when I met you was one of the most impressive things about you among the many is that you are incredibly knowledgeable in dive theory. And part of that comes from all of the different types of diving that you've done. How do you bring that theory home to like an open water diver who maybe doesn't really think in sort of the quantitative ways that maybe we think about pressures and temperatures and depths and, and gas volumes and things like that? I think the important thing is like keep it simple and keep it relatable. Yes. Um, yeah. It's the you know if you you can only uh, you only know something well if you can explain it simply. Uh, my own personal experience was um, so I uh, so I came from like a humanities background and a lot of studying that was always my strength. I think uh, you know I think through high school I think through like my undergrad uh, I barely survived any kind of a science class in any way and and really physics as a whole never made any sense to me until I started diving and I had mm -hmm. a reason where I could see things happening around me and I could, uh, you know, I could really put into terms that were important to something that I was doing, uh, some kind of a context and it made it, it made it all really make sense for me. Um, so, you know, so the same as, you know, the same as a lot of students I teach, like when they first start learning it, it's, you know, it, it, it's rocket science. Mm -hmm. uh, it was for me when I learned it. And then, you know, it, it, it's duck bites. You learn, you know, learn small things at a time. You gain confidence as you start to learn things. And then when you realize that you know, you know the correct answer and mm -hmm. you understand how things are working, um, it really gives you a lot of confidence to, to learn more. And, and you know, you, what I found when I did it is I started to develop a lot more interest 
you know, and then the more it grew, uh, you know, it just, it just took off from there. So I, I'd encourage anyone that's getting into it, just to understand that, you know, it, it starts with very, very simple concepts. You know, it starts with you, you know, you go down, pressure increases, volume gets smaller. You yeah. Know? yeah. It, it's, it's watching high school physics happen in real, in real life, in yes. real time. And if, if my high school physics and teacher... It, and feeling it. Right, exactly. If my high school physics teacher had been a diver and could, and had taken us all diving and said, all right, this is what happens, you know, when you do the plastic bottle trick, right? You fill the plastic bottle on the surface, We'd all you bring be it down. We would, yeah, exactly. We'd we would, all I, be I would have done so much better in physics <laughs> class and chemistry class. Um, you know, and then you start getting into fish ID and, and yeah. evolution of fish and biology and why does this fish have this type of face? And it's because they can do this very specified thing very well because of this evolutionary yeah. adaptation that they have. Is there one fact or piece of dive theory or dive, you know, Anything. fact about diving that you find to be like the one that you reach for as kind of the most fun or interesting one if someone asks? You know, uh, that's a, that's a hard question because there are so many. But I, uh, <laughs> but, but but I but I think I think in concept of one of the uh, uh, one of the coolest things is that as you reach deeper and deeper depths, uh, so much of the o- at so many depths of the ocean, no light exists at all, mm. and uh, and the effect that it has on all of the life that's at that's at depths that we've never seen before is just yes. is fascinating when you really think about how much how much is left there have you ever watched those ev nautilus videos where they go to like 2,000 3,000 feet off of um where is it um northern california right where they go off into the trenches and they're seeing all these wild random things that that don't exist in the light i'm like how did you evolve this (laughs) where did you get this from right well and i always think like since there's no light can they see in the dark or are they blind or does it vary so uh so it varies i mean there's uh there's you know there's creatures that work um that work off of smell sound um off of uh art like artificial light um and then you know and then as you think of it different colors present different ways in in environments where you otherwise don't have that um, yeah some have their own like you said bioluminescence yeah like yeah i've seen that with like the clear well, like the clear life and they're just like yeah right they don't they're transparent they, they, they can be transparent yeah they're transparent yeah anything can just see right through it so cool and there's uh you know like uh creatures that like uh red because red because you lose red yeah. light so fast you'll find that there's a lot of there's a lot of creatures that are down that are that are red and that's how they hide in plain view oh yeah, wow because the color doesn't exist so it's just nothing that's, that's so cool. I hadn't thought about that. Okay, that that's my so new favorite cool. fact. That's, that's, why, no, that's that, why, like yeah. the, va- the vampire squid and all those really deep, those really deep squids—they're all red. I'd, I'd never thought about that before. That's very huh. cool. Because no one, that color doesn't exist. Yep. We just we shine that. We we bring the light down and, and show that. Cool. Huh. All right. Yeah, I'm totally using that. Now. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna. Uh, that, um, so, so yeah, go ahead. I don't know. Do you have like multiple questions? Bring it on. Okay. So I just wanted to do like an overarching, like what would you say or what's the best advice you can give to students or anyone that's starting in diving or even young professionals like ourselves that are trying to advance up the line of like Patty and, you know, whatever, um, organization you subscribe to but 
what would you say to someone trying to advance in diving at any level? Okay, that's a, that's uh, that's a phenomenal question. Like I, I love that. Uh, my you know my my advice would be this, and it was kind of I mean it's what it's what I applied would be whatever you do in diving, find the find the thing that you love, find what interests you, find what excites you, and find the thing that by doing that and doing that well, um, you 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 enrich like everybody around you you know you bring something to other people by doing it and um you know i i've seen you know i've seen cases where divers think that they need to get into something because it's you know it might be the next progression or they get into something because they think that that's the bigger stronger faster and they find that they don't really like it and you know there's a lot of things in diving that i look at that um at least at this point you know it it's not a direction I go just because it doesn't really interest me, you know, and, uh, and then there's plenty of things that plenty of things where it is. Um, so that, you know, the things that I, I would offer that anything that a diver thinks is cool, um, you know, especially that, that helps other people get into that and do that and do as much of that as you want to, um, because you'll get good at it. Um, you'll bring something, uh, you, you know, you never know in the things that you teach somebody what they're going to become. Um, there's a part of me that uh, I, I think as an instructor, I'm still just trying to be my open water instructor because I thought he was such a cool guy. Yep, uh, same, same. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, so, uh, you know, find, find, you know, find your passions and pursue those and, um, and you know, and don't let, uh, and don't let anyone steer you away from the things that, that, that you love the most in diving. So sort of encompassing all of that answer, which was in really really uh, i think the answer that we wanted to hear this is what we need to hear yeah. as 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 budding new new instructor in my case and 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 you know still new s- still pretty new in your case too actually um, actually on the fifth so four days from now i'll be an instructor for two years wow all right two years that's awesome <laughs> so encompassing all of that why do you, why did you then go become a freediving instructor and betray us all just because you're a free diver doesn't mean you can't also be a scuba diver um so 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 it's kind of so so it's kind of interesting and uh it was kind of interesting really what what drew me to it was uh was i'd always wanted to go out and do a uh do like an orca safari up in uh up in uh what they have up in norway Mm. and so those are you know so as i wanted to get into that i said hey you know everybody who's doing that is uh who's doing like phenomenal stuff is free diving. So I said, let's see what this is all about. And so I, so I got into free diving specifically for that. And there were so many things that I found because, you know, cause I, I'd, I'd always grown up spending a lot of time in the water swimming and so many things like the breath holding techniques were completely foreign to me. And yeah. it was amazing how, you know, how, when, you know, when my instructor sat down and started to show me how fast I could find new things in the water um, and then there's also, you know, there's also kind of, there's, there's a certain thrill in it, I guess, to, to finding, uh, to finding new limits within yourself, uh, you know, to finding positive ways to, you know, positive, really mental as much as physical, um, to overcome barriers and, you know, and it just kind of, uh, between going on, you know, different places where you can, you know, responsibly and safely, uh, swim and interact with like cetaceans, which is something, you know, which is something that my, you know, my main motivation in travel, Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, 
we've all been on the that boat where they see the whale sharks and we're all yeah. in our scuba gear ready to go and they say no 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 <laughs> if you're gonna go in with them no scuba gear and we all go what yeah but we we all know that they won't they won't hang out if you're on scuba it's the same thing we see with the leopard sharks in San Diego mm-hmm. they, if you're snorkeling with them if you're free diving with them absolutely but they don't like the sound of bubbles mm-hmm. yeah, as they say no bubbles no troubles right yeah um, who says that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, but uh, I, I really, you know, it was through doing that a lot, I guess, you know, I, I found, uh, you know, as you, as you work with more free divers and, you know, and you really socialize with more free divers, you know, you, you, you start finding a lot of things that are like very inspirational in the same way that scuba is in teaching something, something new, uh, letting people experience something new, letting people find new depths in themselves and overcome challenges and adversity. And that was, you know, that was just a ton of fun. And after doing that for a little while, it you know it was pretty clear that you know that I just I, I wanted to be a freediving instructor. That's awesome. That I is really I cool. really want to try again. I yeah. did not have a very good first experience freediving, but I do want to try again. We should do it because I wanted I want to become okay. a freediver as well. Stay tuned for Jake yeah, and we'll... Miles's freediving adventure with Seth. We'll see if you if you if you have some free some uh, some time. Some can, free can, time. And she get you to teach us freediving too. Um, you mentioned sort of inspiration from coming both from your students as well as some the work you're doing. Um, talk a little bit about the Handicap Scoop Association and your involvement with that. Okay, so um, so yeah, it was really um, it was also something just to like within an instructor like an instructor community. Everybody said, hey, here's something new to something new to try out. Uh, take a you know take a look. And um, and so I uh, the instructor that I had that that trained me. Um, he spent a lot of time, really a career initially as an occupational therapist before he went into scuba. And, uh, you know, and what, what's particularly inspiring is just thinking that uh, what you have there is to give people opportunities that they might not otherwise have. Uh, you know, especially things like uh, uh, one of the first things that you learn is is taking, a, taking quadriplegic divers, divers with no ability and then you have certain uh when you talk about specific vertebrae you have complete or incomplete paralysis at different levels um and it you know in uh letting people experience sensations and movement and all kinds of things that are completely new you know is something uh it's really a gift to to have the opportunity to give people things that in you know in their life they might never they might never otherwise experience yeah you know so that's something uh something super rewarding um so with that, do you work with, do you work with veterans or do you work with everybody? Like I know we've done, we've done a couple the, projects with yeah. veterans before, but absolutely, and, you know, and and for me, it's really it's more uh, more clinical cases. Um, kind of my, I guess, kind of my my philosophy diving specifically is that you know I, I think diving is it's something that's for anybody that wants it, and the things that you want in diving is for anybody that's you know that's that's there. Um, there, you know, with the, with the proper medical support, um, I think kind of in, in non-veteran communities or places where you, where you really find a lot of people who, who gain a lot of benefit and, and kind of, uh, and it opens new avenues for it. Um, you know, it's just kind of, uh, experience wise working with, you know, working with some veterans, you know, you see there's a personality where they're apt to try new things, um, and, you know, to have a little bit of a sense of adventure. Um, but, but regardless of it, you know, the, the thing that I tell everybody is, you know, 
it doesn't really matter where you come from or what your background is. The only thing you need to be a the only thing you need to be a diver is a desire to put your head under the water. Which is sometimes it's sometimes it's as simple as that. Which is sometimes it's as simple as I want to be able to breathe underwater. Um, you mentioned you were a Dan instructor with the Divers Divers Alert Network. What yes. I've ne- that's a new one for me. I've yeah, never what heard is, that before. What is, what is that? that? What does it mean to be a Dan instructor? Okay, so so it's really um uh so so Dan offers a couple different programs um that are basically like CPR first aid based or they might specifically focus on things like hazardous marine life uh, injuries. They might focus on things that are, you know, very specific to, uh, um, and as, you know, like as most people know, like Dan is a, it's a nonprofit organization, um, started really like a, as a network of, uh, of diving medical professionals uh, who are interested in providing resources to, to the recreational diving community, um, tracking uh, specific like injuries, trying to find different ways to, to apply resources uh, to divers and medical pa- capacity. And then, you know, uh, along with that kind of natural progression is is to allow like you know medical training courses or certification courses for things that benefit divers um so you know so when you think about it, it's really it's it's a it's another uh in in a large part it's another cpr first aid certification type program but then there's also certain things where uh where they might train to uh, basic neurological assessments to aid uh professional uh like uh professional medical professionals excuse me uh, medical professionals that you might be trying to assist hazardous marine life injuries, um, and then just information like new programs, whether it's disease transmission, whether it's diving with uh, diving with diabetes. Uh, there, you know, there's a ton of uh, other like really interesting cases. Um, wow, that's super cool. I never yeah, even I, thought about you know diving with diabetes. Like, what do you have yeah. to do with that? You know, it's that would be very interesting to have, learn, especially to like just have that information under your belt being an instructor so we can teach more students yeah we, we're not as limited you know with by these by these certain things we just don't know the answers we 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 you know it, it's one of the ones like uh specific you know specific to uh clinical uh treatments in the chamber you might find a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh diabetic injuries uh one thing that's a uh, one thing that's kind of Im- important to understand is uh that a lot of people don't know is if you've ever gone diving and you came back and you and you realize that you're really really hungry I mean, besides just doing just doing the work of diving, the long surface swims, kicking underwater, uh, putting your body through uh, through the cold of the uh, you know the yeah. Pacific Ocean, you know, besides things like that, um, br- like breathing in any quantity uh, oxygen of a higher partial pressure. Uh, and some people can stimulate metabolism, so it can speed mm. up your metabolism. That I can get skinny makes, by diving more. That makes complete <laughs> sense. No, I definitely I feel that, and it yeah, that makes complete sense. That's so interesting. I never. Very cool. I, is that relatively new reason? I mean, I wish I'd known that years ago. I would. I would be. I, I would be like 150 pounds. I'd <laughs> um, it, so. Do you, working with Dan, I mean, do you sort of get hands-on on some of this research that comes out? I mean, are you working with them actively, or is it more... So so it's a, so really uh, something beneficial is Dan has resources for any diver who's interested in getting it, and, you know, and uh, you can look at, like, all kinds of different medical medical cases. Uh, you know, uh, Dan's got a lot of interesting parts on, like, PFO research. Um, PFO? Uh, it's called a, a Peton Foramen Ovale. And essentially, what happens is so they believe that about a third of all people have one, and it's when you, uh, as you develop and as you grow from really from being in the womb to through infancy up to being an adult, 
um, initially what happens is your lower chambers of the heart are divided are separated and then slowly over time they close until you have a, a, a wall between um, it's the uh, it's called the like the atrial septum it's basically it's a it's a wall between the lower chambers of the heart um, mm. and what happens in in people with a PFO is is that uh, that gap never closes all the way mm. so so as, so as you can imagine in cases where you might have where in a, if you want to think about something like like decompression sickness or mm-hmm. like air gas embolism um they call it like um you can have bubble passage directly through the heart which which can cause which can cause wow. elevated risk to, to, wow. to divers yes um and something that's particularly interesting about it is that is that there are uh pfos are completely asymptomatic um I think some of the research says that there's approximately a you know a third of, of all people may have it. So, but there's but unless you're really looking uh, as a result of something else, it's very hard to actually find it, which is hmm. something that um, makes it an interesting consideration for for divers. Wow! Right, and it hasn't obviously it hasn't been a huge problem to date. But now you know Dan obviously finding it means that we can consider it and, and consider how to protect our you know be better at, at being safe around it absolutely and, and you know and, and it's it's a you know and it's a condition that uh that, you know that uh like physicians have been studying for for a, you know for a, for a lengthy amount of time now but but particular to diving and finding where it uh where it has specific effects um is something that you know is something that dan like absolutely looks at uh something that's really that's a really interesting read um so yeah something to check out and you know Dan's got a bunch of resources like this online, so you know, so I'd encourage anyone who's interested in diving medicine to take a look there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we talk about Dan to all of our classes. I know you do too, um, and we register all of our students under our insurances, and then we urge them to get their own insurance. But it, we forget sometimes that it that they have all these other resources that we can access for free as part of our membership with Dan. Absolutely. Um, so I I think are we coming to a close? Or? Yeah, I think we got so, so one last question. Yeah, so one last question. Is that you've told us everything and it feels, you know, it feels like you've hit the peak. It feels yeah. like, you know, you can't go any farther, but I'm sure you can. <laughs> and I'm sure that you have desires to even move more forward with things. What, what is the next part of your journey look like with scuba? Uh, that's an excellent question. The short answer to that is I don't know. Um, because because of everything I've done in diving, you know, I I never entirely know what what the what the future is. But you know, but a couple things uh, a couple things I can tell you is uh, there's a lot of places in the world that I haven't been to. Um, there's a lot of places that I would love to dive and travel specifically to. Tonga. No, we do know <laughs> you're going to Tonga. So, Tonga, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Antarctica's always been on the list. Ooh, I mean, that I'm, sounds like fun. I'm I'm a cold water yeah you know, I'm a cold water guy. So uh, so at some point that's you know that that that's uh, Hopefully in the near future, that's on the list. Um, there are, you know, e- even uh, even in being a course director, there are a ton of new things to learn about training instructors, about about teaching instructors' specialties. There's still things to learn about being an instructor, and and you know, and you really just get that from from taking the time and doing it. And um, you know, and uh, teaching's always been a passion of mine. Uh, I can't wait to do more. Um, and then, you know, I'm really going to see where that goes. Uh, I'm going to continue to, uh, continue to work with, uh, work with the chamber, uh, treat patients, um, in everything I've ever done in diving. I can't tell you how many days I'll see, 
how many days in my life I've seen something and I've said, huh, I've never seen that before. Yep. Um, and you, you know. And you've it, been doing it for a long for time. For a long in time. a lot of different capacities. Yeah. I mean, we think about that. We're like, yeah. oh, that's a new thing that our student did yeah, that we haven't that's seen a before. New one. But for, for you, I'm sure, I'm sure those moments, do they come less frequently or is it still pretty... I, I, I don't think they ever really lose their frequency, yeah. you know, and I, and I think, uh, you know, and I would, you know, I'd, I'd really encourage, you know, not just diving professionals, but anyone in diving, um, you know, some are pleasant, some are less pleasant, but regardless of what they are to, you know, to take advantage of those and to, and to know that there's never anything, there's never anything that you can't walk away with a good lesson from. Everything in diving is a learning opportunity. Everything's a learning opportunity. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank right. you so much for coming on. This has been a fantastic conversation. We're really excited, uh, really excited to get it out there. Yeah, and I'm glad we got to have it in person. Very cool. cool. Well, thanks again, yeah. Seth. Thank well, you yeah, so I had a ton much, of fun. Seth. Thank you, thank you for having me. Um, and look forward to seeing you in the water. Yeah, have fun in Tonga. Thank you. Bye. Wow, that was an awesome interview. That was gonna, so I think that, good. That's, that might have been our best interview. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of great interviews, but that has to be one of the best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Seth is such an awesome resource for us as instructors. I feel incredibly um, lucky to yes. have him at our shop. We are so lucky to have him <laughs> at our shop. Um, that's all for this episode of Free Descent. Uh, keep watching the Instagram for more fun content from the two of us and just updates and updates yeah. we try and we try and keep we try and update you guys on what we're doing as far as dives and, and travel and stuff like that yeah um so until next time I'm Jake I'm Miles this has been another episode of Free Descent see ya